thank you, Cynthia. I think. <laughs> my name is Betty, and I'm from Monrovia, and my home group is Arcadia on Monday night, and I'm a member of Al-Anon. Hi. Hi. Sounds like California. <laughs> uh, my friend uh, was coming here, so that's why I uh, was able to make it the way I did. Um, my friend and I came together. <laughs> You'll hear him tonight. <laughs> um, I want to first of all thank our driver who brought us here from the airport, uh, Doug, and he was just really neat. And then when we got here, we met all these wonderful people. Jim took us around, and uh, I want to thank Jim and the committee um, for asking me to speak, I think. Um, it, this is not one of the funnest things to do, uh, and yet it is. It, I always gain something from it. Um, I hope I say something that will help somebody out there, but I know one thing, and I was told this by my sponsor at the very beginning, that it will help me. So, first of all, uh, how many hours have we got out there this morning? Hey, great. I'm at home. And uh, for any new people here that might be here for your first meeting, um, if you don't like what I say, you know, don't use it. Just go on and find some others. There are plenty of meetings, but give it a break because you'll give yourself a break. Believe me. Uh, I know how bad. Nobody knows the suffering that we do. <laughs> but us. And I had such broad shoulders, you know, I, if I wasn't upset about something, you know, I would ask you to put it on me because I had, I could wear that on this arm too. I have to tell you a little bit of what I was like and what happened and what I'm trying to be like now and in going back to my life. After coming to this program, I did discover two very important things. One of the things is I am a very, I was and have always been apparently a very negative person. And uh, I also reacted to life and to living sounds like the other side of the program, but I think we're all alike. Um, my father was an alcoholic. I can identify with a teenager. And uh, I was also the last of the Mohegans in the family. My father was a lovable Irishman, and I loved him dearly when he was sober. But I hated him with a passion when he drank. And I don't know if any of you can identify this, but I had a churning in my stomach. It used to just... Now, I had two older brothers. They did not react to Daddy the way I did. My mother did not react to Daddy the way I did. I reacted to Daddy, and I wanted to change him from the very beginning. And I was uh, came along late in their life. I was in, um, I w Dad and Mom were in their 40s when I arrived, and I was a da this daughter they'd always wanted, you know. And so I was spoiled, too, along with a lot of other things. But I had a good life. Uh, mother was able to keep things together pretty well. Uh, she, uh, you know, was a, this amazing non-alcoholic who uh, kept things going. And uh, my dad lived to be 84 years old, even though he never found the program and he drank up until the end. But uh, may I tell you, my mother always fed him breakfast every morning. So, maybe if you don't feed him... Um, <laughs>
But um, I, I, I learned a lot from living uh, with my father in the early years. I learned about alcoholics in the respect of this. Uh, we were not teetotalers. My mother was not against drinking. But we never had any booze in the house because whatever booze Daddy brought into the house, Daddy drank up. So that was one thing I learned. Um, I learned also that they were the only sufferers. Nobody else suffers like an alcoholic. I remember my brother was killed in the war. And, uh, you know, mother lost a son and we lost a brother, but dad lost a son. Quote. <coughs> Good excuse. You know, I learned about that too. And that made me mad. That made me angry. You know, I was always resentful. I was very fearful of becoming an alcoholic myself because uh, uh, I was scared to death of alcohol and I was scared to death of drinking. My mother uh, supplemented the income and uh, we didn't suffer financially a lot. We never had a lot, but we never, but we always had enough to get by and we always found a way to get by. And she uh, also uh, gave me a good education and uh, I had a talent that was discovered at a young age and uh, she gave me lots of lessons in dancing, acting, and singing. And I did this for many years. And um, uh, so I was very fortunate in that respect. And uh, and yet I found, in looking back, I had the same problems that we all seem to have. Um, I uh, didn't like myself and I was unhappy with the way I reacted. And I had two things, too. I had a very extreme highs and extreme lows. And I had terrible depressions, and, you know, and other times I'd be so excelled, you know, way up high. And these are things that I found after coming down, and I look back on what, what was wrong with me and why I was as mixed up as I was. You know, we marry an alcoholic, or we come from an alcoholic home, and I, I firmly believe this, um, the alcoholic, alcoholic or the alcoholism aggravates what's already there. I had these problems, and they were aggravated and made bigger by the circumstances in my life. But I can't blame them on the alcoholic. And that's hard, damn it. <laughs> so... Um, when I was in my teens, and I have to tell you this because it's part of the story and uh, it'll explain what happens to me later. Uh, when I was in my teens, um, I, as I say, I didn't drink and I didn't smoke and I was Miss Goody Two-Shoes because I was scared to death I would, would fall into the trap. And I was going with this crowd and everybody was drinking and smoking and it was at this one party and this one little girl that was younger than I came in and she said, oh, Betty, I don't smoke and I don't drink. And I said, don't worry about it. I don't either. And nobody really cares and nobody will pay any attention to you. By the end of the evening, I was a little tired of everybody having a good time and me staying around watching them, and I grabbed the bottle out of this date of mine and uh, downed whatever he had in it. <clears throat> and my, it was lovely. <laughs> uh, made me feel gorgeous and beautiful and intelligent and charming all in one gulp. <laughs> and um, the next time this poor girl saw me, I was smoking a cigarette, coughing and smoking and drunk. And... Um, <laughs> But I wasn't a very successful drinker. I, um, I had a couple of problems. Number one, I got sick. <laughs> you can't, I don't know how, I, I guess people do it if they get sick, but um, I, I, I got sick. And number two, I had terrible remorse. 
awful Norm says I had worse remorse than he ever had. So I never did it very often. But I, uh, I did get drunk. And I wasn't too charming when I got drunk. Because I didn't just drink, I got drunk. But I did not apparently have the, um, the, um, disease. And I'm not going to find out if I do have a disease, believe me. Um, when I was 18, I was, uh, uh, didn't have any money to go to college. Um, that was another thing. My mother was putting the, my boy, my brothers through. And, you know, Martyr Mary, already I am Martyr Mary, and so I can't, you know, possibly go to college. And uh, this teacher of mine said, Betty, you have a talent that should be, you know, nourished. And I said, well, I can't. And so she said, well, let me see if I can't get you a scholarship. So she helped me apply to the Pasadena Playhouse. And I received a scholarship to the Pasadena Playhouse, and I was going to go on to bigger and better things, and I was going to be this marvelous star in the future. Well, when I was 20, about along came this marvelous, charming, adorable man into my life. And boy, he drove in the fast lane. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> And I hung on to his coattails, and we rode in that fast lane, and I tried to pull him over to the slow lane. And I've been trying ever since, and it don't work. <laughs> you know, we're never happy. Let me tell you, I dearly love you Al-Anon guys, but you ain't got it where the alcoholic has, you know? <laughs> be bored with me too. But anyway. <laughs> you know, everybody says, why do you stay with them? And you know, you why we say, why do we stay with them? My God, you know. But you and I both know why we stayed with them. God, we love them. You know, we just love them. I love my daddy. I really did. I loved him so much. And I love my mother too. And, uh, and, was, and I had a good life with him. But anyway, this darling came into my life, and I should have known from the very beginning that it was a bad mistake, because on our first date, he said, Betty, I want to tell you something before you find out from anybody else. I just got out of jail. Now, I should have ran, but I said, oh, you poor guy. You must be a victim of unusual <laughs> He's so dear, those bad men put him away. And we had a great time. We really did. We had a lot of fun. He wasn't the kind I usually went with, with tall, dark, quiet type. But this guy's, you know, he's tall, blonde, and an idiot. <laughs> And, you know, things really moved kind of fast, and uh, this was in August, and by November, I'm engaged. And he says, uh, Betty, you have to give up your career, because after all, look at all the things I'm giving up, my women and fun. And I'm so dumb, I said, uh-huh. <laughs> well, it wasn't too long after that that I realized I had made a drastic mistake, <clears throat> Because we were at some, started going to parties together, and uh, he used to drink terrible. I mean, he became a real ass, let me tell you. And I used to try to find ways to get home, you know. 
And from January, I decided I had made a huge mistake. We were to be married the following August. And I decided I had made a huge mistake, and I said, here, Norm, you know, go your way. And I gave him the ring, but you know how they are. <laughs> he prom- promised him her anything, you know. And the promises started, and the starting overs started. And he would get out, and, you know, I mean, if I, the first time it was just, you know, I'll, I won't do it anymore. And then the second time, I won't do it anymore on one knee. And then the tears, you know, the third act, he should have gone to the playoffs instead of me, I'll tell you. <laughs> so uh, it got progressively worse, and I kept hanging in there. And by July, invitations are out. The dress is almost finished. Everything is prepared, and this guy is bananas on my birthday yet, you know. And I thought, I can't go through this anymore. This is ridiculous, Betty. You know, take the loss and get out. (laughs) So I give him back his ring again, but he has an ace in the hole. His mother said to me, But what will become of him if you don't marry him? (laughs) So, in August the 16th, coming up, I met my father at the altar, and his breath, uh, to take me down the altar, and his breath knocked me over, and I met my darling at the altar, and his breath knocked me over. And we went on from there. I was like, we were like the speaker that was spoke last night, let me tell you. Because we ended up in Tahoe, and Norm was drunk, and I was trying to find a way to come home, and he wouldn't give me money to come home. He was hiding behind trees, and oh, it was just charming. (laughs) You know, this is wonderful. I stand up here and tell you what a stupid idiot I was. (laughs) You know, this is really nice, you know. So... Um, we got home, and we're going to start over. <laughs> and um, he went to work, and I put the little apron on, fixed the little dinner, you know, and <laughs> greeted him out, went racing out to the car, and he fell in my arms. <clears throat> you know, I wasn't like these darling people who uh, who say... Yeah, he was so neat for so many years, and all of a sudden he fell off. You know, this was from boom, from the very beginning. We started out with a shot, and we've been, you know, going ever since. So, anyway, um, I never went out and greeted him in the car to this day. I just refused. But anyway, (laughs) he said if we had children, he would be better. So, I didn't want any children, and he did, so we had them. And I remember our first little girl was born, God bless her, and um, <laughs> we were at um, his folks' house, and he was drunk, and my mother was taking care of my baby, and he was having a terrible row with his father, because Norman had fight and whiskey. My daddy was a lovable drunk. He never hit anybody but me, and that was only because I provoked it, but, um, <laughs> but Norman was a fighting drunk, and you just had to stay out of his way. I used to try to battle him, but it never won. And um, 
But you never win with alcoholics for some reason. At least I don't with mine to this day. But anyway, <laughs> even verbally. Um, he was having a terrible fight, I mean fist fight, with his dad. And uh, his mother called the doctor, and the doctor came in, and they gave him a shot and knocked him out. And then the doctor turned around to look at this wan little frail thing, me. <laughs> and... Uh, he said, I'm worried about her. And I said, oh, my God, somebody's noticed. <laughs> and he says, I want to see you and your husband in my office on 9 o'clock in the morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought, somebody's going to fix it. Going to make it okay. I <laughs> tried, and I searched, you know, the magic, magic answer. Well, this doctor's going to make it okay. So we went to the doctor. And I kid you not, after an hour of talking to this doctor, I stood up and apologized to Norman and the doctor for Norman's alcoholism. (laughs) So, it didn't get any better, and I had another kid. And then we had more, and I had, we had the dog, and we had the whole bit, and we went to see Cheaper by the Dozen. The drive-in. And Norman says, that's it. If you have another child. (laughs) I won't drink so much. Three days later, I was pregnant and Norm was drunk. (laughs) And we went through all the marvelous things, you know, like um, I was a clothes washer. I washed clothes till you wouldn't believe. I had the cleanest clothes in town. I never folded one. But did I have clean clothes? The couch was piled high with clothes. <laughs> and I washed dishes. They were all over the sink. And every night, Norm came home drunk. He walked in the kitchen. He used to just drive me mad. And take his hand and go, and all the dishes would be broken. Never could understand why he did that. Didn't know that if I put those dishes away, he couldn't do that. (laughs) And I paced the floor, smoked cigarettes and drank coffee, wore no makeup, straggly hair, dirty jeans, and an old baggy shirt. And I was a charmer. My mother had the gall to say to me one day, why don't you clean up? Maybe things will get better. And I said, why? He doesn't see me anyway. (laughs) But when you're as consumed with the alcoholic as I was, you don't have time to do much of anything. You got to move. You got to watch. You got to (laughs) listen. So the only thing I could do was throw the clothes in the dishwasher and wash the dishes because I was moving when I did those kind of things. I don't know what those poor darling children ever, how they ever got raised, I'll tell you. The poor babies, I'm telling you, because mother was busy. Don't bother me. (laughs) Listening for that car to drive up the street. And then waiting for them to come in. That's why we look so bad when we come to the program. You know, they've passed out and had some sleep, but we're pacing. <laughs> and he walked 
walks in and he either says he quit his job or he got fired and you don't know which he's done or what it really, if it really happened and you've got to worry all night about it and he's drunk and he's passed out and he won't tell you. It's a bit. So, it didn't get any better. It got worse. And then his mother and father were killed in a car wreck and we got a little bit of money and he was drinking it up because he was suffering so. And I was angry over that too. Anyway, shrewd me in my insanity took that money and conned him into putting it into a house and we built this house up on a hill and moved in and immediately was going to lose it because he was drinking up everything he made. And about that time... Um, I had decided, I had quit thinking he might become an alcoholic. He was no alcoholic. He was a drunk, and he was going downhill fast. And we moved into this new neighborhood because we had really drunk the other one up. You know how that goes. Everybody points at you. You know they are. You know they're talking about you. You just know it. And if you were like me, you didn't tell anybody about anything because I never talked to anybody about my problem, Norman. And I had quit leaving him on many occasions because I had finally come to the conclusion that I could not leave him hating him because when I he sobered up, I loved him. No, nobody realizes that's a terrible dilemma but us. But we hate them when they're drunk. And God, we love them when they're sober. So uh, I decided that I would, you know, get out of his... Norman was a violent drunk and... Uh, and um, So he got out of his way. And so we had just been making trips to Mother's until Norm sobered up, and then we would come home. Well, this time, Norm had been gone a couple of days, and he came home. Some guy had driven him home. Excuse me, I'm ahead of my story. We had just moved into the house, and I was outside with the neighbor, and the neighbor um, was... uh, we were supposed to go out to dinner that night, and here I didn't want anybody to know about him, and here he comes in his little red truck, and he's out of his head, and he wheels by us into the house. And she, I said, well, there it is, you know, that's it. That's what I've got. <laughs> and she said, well, something about AAA. She'd been to uh, see come back little Sheba, and there was something in there about AAA, you know. Why don't I call? And I said, oh, he's not an alcoholic. He's a drunk. And she, so she was a do-gooder, so she pushed me in the phone, and I phoned. And God bless this man over there because he gave me my first insight into the problem of alcoholism. He would not come to see Norm because Norm had not called. And uh, I said, but my God, he's just terrible. He's violent. He chases me around the house with knives and guns and He said, Dad, there's a guy up in Bradbury behind you that's chasing his wife around with a hatchet. (laughs) But he gave me my insight as to the problem, and he told me two things that were to change my life. Number one, he said, you don't get him drunk. (laughs) How many times I'd blamed myself, you know, and Norm had said, you drag me down, you know. (laughs) You don't get him drunk. And then he gave me the other clue. You're not going to get him sober. And that's a blow. But those were the two things that released me from Norman. And I said, should I tell him? And he said, well, sure. You know, but we won't come and call on him. 
So don't you know, the minute Norm woke up, <clears throat> he walked into the kitchen. I said, it's just clear as day. And I said, um, I know where you can, where you can go to get help, Alcoholics Anonymous. And he said, I am no damned alcoholic. Well, I told him he was, but then he could do his own thing. <laughs> well, it was about, I don't know how, a couple of weeks later, maybe, I don't know, the Norm had been out on a real long tear. He'd been gone a few days. And he drove home. The man, Some man drove the car home. God bless him. If I could find him and make amends, I certainly would. Because he drove Norm home, and somebody followed and picked the man up, and they went on. But before the man left, <laughs> I was in my usual good-looking outfit. <laughs> And I went out to him, and in no uncertain terms, I laid that man out. I could not believe the words that were coming out of my mouth. Today, it's the thing to do. You know, everybody uses those kind of language. But in my day, we didn't say things like that. And I thought, my God, what has become of me? Where am I going? This poor guy, you know, he probably thought, no wonder this guy drinks, you know. (laughs) And he went on, and I had just put a roast on the stove. And Norm came in and sat, and the kids and I went through our routine of going outside and peeking in the window until he passed out. <laughs> and he took the roast and was carving this raw roast up on the table and passed out. So the kids got themselves in the car and their clothes. We're going to Grandma's. <clears throat> Marvelous way to live. Isn't that neat? Yeah, you just live so well. <laughs> and... Uh, no wonder the kids are confused. God bless them. Who will take care of the children? I keep thinking of them. Anyway, we went into the house. I went into the house and I picked up the roast and I put it in the, put it away. And then I picked up the knife and I passed behind Norm's back. And I had an honest desire. It would be all over. We could bury him and finished, you know. And I thought. It just shook me, and I got to my senses, and I put that knife away, and I thought, my God, what has happened to me? What's become of me? And I uh, I got the kids in the car. We got going. God, the car started right away, thank God, and he didn't wake up. And we started on our way to Pasadena, and all of a sudden, it was just like a big weight had lifted off my shoulders. Because I knew that Norm was an expensive item I could no longer afford. I could not get him sober, and I didn't get him drunk. He was over 21, and my kids and me are going down the tubes fast. A psychiatrist that I forced him to go to at one time had told me, get out before you lose your life or your mind. You know, you're married to a psychopathic drunk. I cried myself to tears over that. Norm didn't cry because he knew he wasn't one. <laughs> and uh, and all of these things finally came to me, and I realized there was nothing I could do, and so I left. And thank God, Norman found the program shortly after that. And uh, and and I should say everything is very happy after that. But uh, my story goes on. I'm a slow learner. <laughs> we went to AA. We got back together again, and I went with him to AA, and God, I loved it. Just loved AA. Loved the people, and the darling alcoholic gals used to say to me, Betty, go out and get drunk and come back in and join us. And I said, I'd never make it. <laughs> I'd never make it. And then Norman had a gift, 
that I feel everybody in AA has this different gifts that God gives them. I think alcoholics are blessed people, and I think that they give them gifts. And Norman had a gift of carrying the message. Now, I am a person who doesn't like me. I have also been used to blaming everything that I didn't like about me on Norman. And if things didn't get done around the house, I blamed them on Norman. And this, you don't, alcoholics don't realize how terrible it is when you get sober. And we are standing there with all our problems to face. Because <laughs> you're not to blame anymore. And it's terrible. And so, uh, uh, he got, uh, he got to speaking around our area and so naturally they wanted to know this other part. And God, I thought if they know me, they won't like me. I just know they won't like me. And I was going back to, I was still having my real highs and my real lows and I was getting sicker and sicker as the years went by. Norm was in the program 14 years and this idiot is doing nothing. I trying to find a program. I took a fourth step one time. My God, I was so depressed after that. I it was terrible. <laughs> and uh, I went to Al-Anon once <clears throat> and said, Norm, it was just a bunch of old women who sat around and played cards. He said, you don't need it. I said, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> and... Um, I got sicker, and uh, about the time that um, Norm was 14 years sober, my mother had a heart attack. No, we were supposed to go to Rio Doza Downs to a uh, convention. Norm was speaking at the convention. And uh, I naturally was taking complete control of everything. I ran everybody's life, my children, my husband, and my mother and father, because nobody else was there to take care of them but me, naturally, and um, becoming more of a martyr as the way, way goes on. I used to say to Norm, you know, why do you and the children lie to me the way you do? And he said, because we can't stand your wrath. I had become this wonderful, wonderful Puritan. I never did anything wrong. I never, I was always Miss Goody Two-Shoes. That's why I told you about that stepping in the mud way back there in the beginning because I even forgot about that. I hadn't forgot about it. I just didn't think about it because I didn't want to. I was good. I had to be good. It's the only way I could accept myself. Only way I could accept myself. And uh, my poor children, uh, you know, whenever they stepped in the mud, God bless, bless them, <laughs> they got it. You know, mother was just marvelous. Mother never lied. Insidious lies. That's what I was, an insidious liar. So, Anyway, my dad uh, and mother uh, were in their late years, and uh, my mother had this heart attack, and I put her in the hospital. And then my darling uh, father, who did as all uh, mice do when the cat's away, he uh, I called him that morning, and he was drunk and laughing and giggling, and I am furious. My stomach's turning. I am so mad. And out of the blue, in comes Norm, grabs the phone from me, comes down my dad, or he wasn't even upset, he was so gone, and uh, calms down me and leaves. And at two in the afternoon, I'm in the hospital visiting my mother, and they called me from the emergency and said that daddy had fallen and cut his head open and they'd stitched it up and I could take him home now, and I just love it. 
And I go out to the parking lot, and who's out there but Norm? And he puts uh, this idiot wife who's uh, hollering obscenities at her father and her father who's hollering obscenities at her and they drive me home and drive us home and I immediately call my brother. My father is 84 years old at this time. And marvelous. I was treating him like he was two. And I called Salinas up north and I said to Jack, you're going to have to take dad because we're going to read those down. Mother's getting out of the hospital and she cannot come home to this drunk. And I shipped that up to Salinas. Oh, God, he loved me for that. And we went to Riadoza Downs, and uh, we were met by uh, these Al-Anon women who came to me and said, What Al-Anon meeting do you got to? And I said, I don't go to Al-Anon. I'll go to AA. <laughs> and this guy said, Well, I hope you don't find it the way I did. And I thought, God, what's her problem? Well, she told me her problem. She spoke at one of the things, and she said something about she couldn't cope. And I thought, what's the matter with her? You know, can't cope? I was coping very well. And uh, I was going downhill but fast and didn't know it. We came back and Rhea Dosa Downs and Mother and Dad, and uh, I had Dad's not speaking to me. Isn't this wonderful? (laughs) I don't know why. And uh, it is the end of, it's that holiday in May, and I never remember what the name of it is. It's the last of May, you all know. And uh, Norm, he called up and for Norm, and Norm was not there, and apparently must have been playing golf, having a good time doing something, because I was mad <coughs> and upset and crying. And Daddy says, why are you crying? Now, I'm his baby girl. And, and he couldn't stand to hear his baby girl cry. And I said, Daddy, I don't know why I'm crying. And he couldn't stand to hear it, and we got back together again, and I am so glad, because we had chances to hug and kiss and love, and and he died on June the 10th of that year, and I am so forever grateful for my higher power, who helped me in spite of myself. Well, by September of that year of 68, I am bananas. Let me tell you, I am a wreck. I have gone downhill to the point that I am back to my old self way before AA, and full of fears scared, livid, and I am hiding in the closet, literally. Poor Norm, God bless him, he tried to help me, and I said, Norm, you help everybody else, why can't you help me? And and he couldn't, and he didn't know what to do with me, and I didn't know what to do with me, and to make a long story short, I went to a meeting with him in Covina, and uh, met an older friend who had tried and tried and tried to get me to Al-Anon, and she, everybody said, leave Betty alone, you know, she don't want it, forget it, you know. And uh, and Norma wouldn't let me go, and she latched on to me, and, um, and she said, Betty, what's wrong? And I said, God, Norma, I don't know. Now, she had ended up in a wheelchair. She was so crippled up with arthritis, and she was just a beautiful person. And I looked at her, and, and I thought, God, you know, this is something. Some This program must have something, because this woman was an absolutely gorgeous woman, and she had ended up in a wheelchair dying of arthritis, and she was happy. And she drug me to meetings, thank God, and it was a long time before I came out of it. In fact, <laughs> a while after I'd been in Al-Anon, somebody asked me if I'd had a facelift. <laughs> so you can see what I look like. <laughs> and I started going to the program. And I started, and I, at first, you know, God, it's like AA, you know, what's the difference? But I, I had enough AA background that I knew it said, keep going. And that's what I tell all newcomers, God, stay with it and keep going and giving. And giving of yourself to another person. And getting out of yourself. And learning to love yourself. And if Al-Anon has given me nothing else, 
It's given me the ability to love myself. You know, we have these darling women who come into the program, or men, and they're sitting there, and God, you know, the one thing that nobody understands but another Al-Anon is that the most important thing in our life is money and job. And you must hold on to it. It is our God. And so you come to Al-Anon, and we tell them, you're going to have to maybe lose it all. And we can't understand why they don't accept it, you know. <laughs> You're going to have to lose it all. We know after we've been here long enough that it doesn't matter what you lose because in losing, you gain. And some of us have to lose a lot in order to gain. I had to get down to my knees and grovel before I could find what was my problem. And you have a sign over there that says, I can't, we can. This was my problem. It was after I'd been in Al-Anon for a while, a long time, and I was still having trouble with my higher power. I, I don't know why. I could not find the answer why, and one what time I finally found what it was. And it was in that serenity prayer, that stupid serenity prayer that I used to go to meetings with Norman. It was on a big wall in one of the meetings, and everybody always said, what a wonderful prayer that was, and I thought, what does it mean? But I didn't dare ask. What? <laughs> I don't want you to know I'm dumb, but I couldn't understand it. And when I finally got the breakthrough, through, it was that one phrase, accept the things you cannot change. I was raised with the idea, you've got to change it all. You've got to change it. If you don't change it, who will? And you, you know, the Lord helps those who help themselves. <laughs> So I, uh, I finally surrendered. God, I surrendered. I, I surrendered to an awful lot of things. And, and I think I've become a better person. I feel I've become a better person. The older I'm in this program, the more I know I have to grow. And there have been things through my life that, that have changed me uh, completely. Things that, you know, you go along and everybody says, Oh, it's so neat now, we're so forward, you know, everything is great. And you know it's not great. You know, life is living and you got problems in this life and you got stepping stones and you reach a point in your life where it's just super and you you think it's great and then, you know, something happens and, and but then you got a place to go to and you think, why am I all screwed up? How did I get in this mess? And so you dash back to a meeting and you grab onto somebody new and you start sharing and caring and it gets better. Because you get out of yourself. At least this is what happens to me. And uh, I, I had these children and um, uh, this one middle daughter, God bless her, uh, I had problems with her. And I was right at the, you know, I had become saintly martyr Mary in her teen years, God bless her. And she was stepping her foot a bit in the mud and mother was being very upset. And she didn't understand this child at all. And so this child had this tough exterior that used to come on. And, God, that made me madder still. And I didn't understand what was wrong with her. And I would get so angry at her. And she was the one that I got the maddest at. If you saw her, you would know why. She looks and talks and walks just like her mom. <laughs> and it wasn't until she was in her middle 20s and she had married... And she came home one day, and Dad and I were sitting on the couch. <clears throat> and she looked at me, and she said, um, Mother, you don't love me like you do the other kids. 
And I gave her that marvelous Al-Anon answer. <laughs> you think that, you've got a problem, because I certainly don't have that problem. And Norman's sitting there smirking, I thought. <laughs> and I walked into the other room and I thought, my God, is this my problem? Do I not love that child? And something happened. And these are the kind of things that happen. I'm just giving you examples, but this is the kind of thing that happens to me. God has to give me pictures, and he does it to me beautifully. And he gave me this picture of my 12-year-old when she was 12. And she was, you know, before she gets in that, you know, never-never land between 15 and 21, you know. That's orange. <laughs> I got another one there now, and it's terrible. <laughs> And this, this same daughter, the middle one, is having the same reactions to this 17-year-old that I do. It's really funny. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. And I remember that. And I started loving and I said, my God. And I looked at myself and I thought, you know, and studying this. Because I had to do something about it. I had to do something about it. And I looked at me and I thought, my God, that, that, that's me. It's not her that I dislike. It's still disliking me. I thought I had loved, learned to love myself. And I was still stumbling, and I hadn't. And, and I and I worked on it, and God helped me work on it. And God bless it, it, it it's gone. It's gone. We have a, a super relationship, and and I'm so ever grateful for that. And 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 with the program, I'll get through this last one we've got at home. Okay. <laughs> Thank God. I uh, I want to close. Uh, Thank you all for for asking me. I'm sorry I'm not this guy from New Jersey, whoever he is. <laughs> I, uh, I, I've learned to, uh, a, a lot, a lot in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I've learned to uh, accept Norm and to release him as my God. We were driving along in the car one day and all of a sudden I turned to him and I said, you are no longer my God. <laughs> and he almost cracked the car up. I don't know whether... <laughs> he thought, uh, my God, she's not going to listen to me anymore, or, or he never realized he was. I, I really don't know, but I... I'm... Anyway, I have a favorite story of mine that I always try to tell, because I think it tells the program of... Not the program, it tells us what we are. And it's about Pat and Mike and, and Mary, and, and, and Pat was married to Mary. God bless her. He said, I mean, she was just a darling woman, you know, salt of the earth, raised and took care of his children. And Pat and Mike were drinking buddies, and they had a great time together. They just uh, drank every Friday and Saturday night. Well, one Friday night, they'd been out boozing, and, and Pat didn't make it through the night. And they laid him out to rest the next day in the parlor, and everybody came by to review the remains. And old Mary was sitting there rocking in her rocking chair, blue eyes looking straight ahead. And as they walked by, they all reviewed the craft, and everybody always said, Mary, you are such a marvelous woman. And she just sat there rocking, blue eyes, looking straight ahead. <clears throat> and in comes Mike, and he's all hung over, and he is really upset. His friend, his buddy, you know, has gone on, the suffering alcoholic. <clears throat> and he sees Mary, and he says, I'm blushing, Mary, I'm such a good woman to pass. And he loved you so, and you were so good to him. And he was such a fine man. And Mary just sat there, looking straight ahead. <clears throat> and we went over to the casket, and he leaned in. And God, he saw Pat laid out there, and he was so upset. God, he was just so upset. He leaned over and 
grabs Hal's hand, tears streaming down his cheeks, you know, and he looks at Mary. Mary's sitting in the rocker, blue eyes looking straight ahead. <laughs> Mary, that's still warm. Mary says, hot or cold, he goes out today. 